Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. My guest today comes from London, England, but she says she remains close to her Scottish roots. Her name is Maggie LaTerrell, and she has a fascinating story. She is an author, therapist, and teacher, and for over 30 years has integrated psychotherapy, NLP, kinesiology, and energetic healing into her holistic therapy practice. Maggie has lectured at some of the UK's leading universities and has been running professional training courses for many years. On a personal note, Maggie has 10 years of hands-on experience helping to care for her parents at the end of their lives. She's an author of a couple of books. One is The Principles of Kinesiology, and her latest book is called The Gift of Alzheimer's, New Insights into the Potential of Alzheimer's and Its Care. I really believe that Maggie can provide some incredible evidence of the hereafter, but also that she can inspire all of us today to lead even greater lives after we listen to her story. Maggie LaTerrell, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. I, it's always so synchronistic how I find my guests. Um, my dear assistant, Kathy, has great intuition, and she found you, or you found her. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't matter because we're here together. So uh, where do we start, Maggie, with your incredible story? <laughs> you you know you more than me, yeah. and I'm fascinated by all the things you've done for so long, but maybe you could give us a little bit of your story, how you even maybe got into this world of um, kinesiology, NLP, all these yeah. holistic things. Yes. Um, well, actually, my journey into exploring consciousness started in my 20s, and um, so for for many, many years, I was reading books, attending talks, uh, attending groups, um, and just building up my knowledge and experience and changing my way of thinking and being in the world. So that led me from, what was I doing? <laughs> so at one point I worked in the fashion industry uh, in the 60s, uh -huh. but, but it, it led me over time to discovering that I was sensitive to energy. And I started to, I thought, well, I better do some training in this. So I trained as a healer and discovered all sorts of amazing things. And I should say, to begin with, I was naturally skeptic. You know, I, I was not just taking everything at its face value. So I discovered through my own experience that, you know, it's possible to see auras, um, I believe that I had experience of uh, some past lives. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see colors. I was sensitive to colors. Um, and that led me then to thinking, well, this is all very well, but if I'm working with people, uh, I want to be able to communicate with them. And this is where kinesiology came in because kinesiology uses manual muscle testing to communicate directly with the body. So I studied kinesiology and became a touch for health instructor and I found that a, a wonderful way of 
communicating with people about what's happening in their body because it's really I'm just I'm just there as a as a catalyst it's their body that's important so I work very much from a pen with a person-centered approach uh, I also trained in NLP which uh, I found offers excellent models for um, communicating with people and having an understanding of of how they think and and how they behave can you so, tell us I hate to interrupt you. Um, in my book, I talk a little bit about kinesiology. Um, and I, I know I talk about hypnosis, but I don't think I talk about NLP. Can you just give a definition to those two things just before we go on for some of our listeners that might not be familiar with those terms? Yes. Well, kinesiology is a system that uses manual muscle testing to communicate directly with the body. And it can be used almost like a dowsing tool to get yes-no answers from the body, or it can be used as a holistic system um, because it is based on the acupuncture system. Hmm. So, um, as well as just using one muscle to find answers to questions, uh, every every muscle that's tested has an energetic link with an acupuncture meridian, and therefore you know, the function in the body of um, the related to that meridian. So it is a very holistic system, and it's based on a paradigm, <clears throat> which is the triad of health, that has one side, which is structure, one side, chemistry, and one side, emotions. And all that is contained within the field of energy. Mm, very good. <laughs> That's my definition of oh, kinesiology. It's great. And even um, for listeners right now, if you go to wedontdieradio.com and you click on Maggie Latorell's page, I'll have a link to some more information about kinesiology and even the link to her book on that because it, it, it's a very real thing and very, very fascinating. And also on my website, I have a separate website for my therapy practice and you can very easily go from the homepage of the book to that web to that website, which gives more information about kinesiology. Okay, just quick, what is that website? Just so it's MaggieLatorell.co.uk. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Right now, NLP <laughs> um, that <clears throat> stands for neuro linguistic programming, which is such a horrible uh, title. Uh, it's it's a study of excellence, and. Uh, in neurolinguistic programming, the founders modeled people that they found were very good at whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and with these, they found they could teach these models to others so that anybody who's learned the model uh, can do the same thing and also be excellent. So it's really the study of excellence, but it has ramifications that go into, you know, the structure of language and um you know hypnosis it's a it's a very vast field now i trained back in the 80s when it was still developing really wow. and um but i found it it's become a, a core it's it's hardwired into my my brain now and it, that's great and neuro-linguistic programming nlp is another thing that if there's something you want in your life or I've never heard it as the uh, study of excellence but it really is to create new patterns and new behaviors it very much empowers um, 
you to have those results in your life. So another very cool study that is in your bag of tricks, madame. Mm. <laughs> All right, now back to you and your story. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the commercial break. So when my mother was, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in the year 2000, and I should say that back then, it wasn't as, as talked about as it is now, but I was able to bring my experience and skills to the situation. So um, I was also, as you mentioned earlier, working as a psychotherapist. So I, I was able to be with her, not as, a, not as a therapist, but I was able to listen to her um, in a way that some people maybe wouldn't think to listen. And um, if I just give a little background sure, to this sure. story, she was diagnosed in the year 2000, but I suspect she probably uh, had Alzheimer's before that. And we didn't know. I mean, people people weren't looking out for it then. And I was living in London and just visiting from time to time. My father was in his early 90s and struggling a bit himself. Anyway, um, my mother was, was diagnosed. And for a couple of years, she lived at home with help coming in. And it was an absolute nightmare. It just got worse and worse. And I want to say this because it sounds like, you know, the gift of Alzheimer's is some, you know, other world. Right, <laughs> it's right. not the world that most people experience. But I can assure you, we were tearing our hair out. And I was trying to manage the arrangements at a distance and going up to Scotland, say, for one week a month to try and help out. And then uh, two years later, it, when she was a danger to herself and those around her, she went into a care home, which happened to be next door to our family house, mm. which is really convenient. Sure. And it, it also didn't feel as if we were putting her in a home. It felt like an extension to our own home because we knew the staff, we knew the owner. It's an independent care home. It was, you know, it couldn't have been an easier transition. Great. And at the same time, it was very painful, you know, when that happened. But... Um, she, she'd been in the care home for oh, nearly a year. And then she started to say things that I thought were, were a bit strange and interesting. I mean, she'd been saying strange things before, but mm -hmm. um, she was in more of a, I would say by this stage, she was in at least moderate Alzheimer's and probably verging on late stage Alzheimer's. So although she'd only been diagnosed, as I say, in the year 2000, it adva either advanced quite quickly or she'd had it before, and we didn't know. And she, so she said things like, she said, thing, one day she said to me, you love me. And I thought, yes. I didn't know if it was a question or, <laughs> or a statement. Um, and I assured her that I did. And then immediately after, she said, I'm a bad person. And I thought, oh, poor mummy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's so frail. And I was feeling love and compassion for her. And I just, I want to, I need to fill you in at this stage a little bit because, you know, although she was frail and and I felt deep compassion for her at that point, she had had an extremely difficult life. She suffered from mental, mental instability, depression. She threatened suicide. I mean, when I was a young child, I witnessed her threatening suicide a number of times. She, her 
and she had no control over her emotions at times, it was extremely difficult. And that actually set up quite a challenging relationship because as a child, I couldn't trust her. Mm -hmm. And as our lives progressed together, you know, we, lo we loved each other, but the <laughs> there was some reservation there. So this, you know, you love me and I'm a bad person. I thought, oh, I think I know where this might be coming from. And I might trigger it because I'm, you know, standing right in front of her. Anyway, uh, Carl Jung uh, said something that I think is useful to, to know. He said um, something like uh, in diminished, um, oh dear, um, emotions, repressed immaterial arises in the in diminished consciousness something to that yeah. effect and i thought i think that's what's happening here uh -huh. these uh -huh. old memories are just popping up out of nowhere and you know most people would say have another cup of tea <laughs> you know just try and ignore it right but i i wanted to find out what was going on i didn't want to ignore it i wanted to help her and i didn't want her to suffer distress so we talked about the things that had been troubling her. And I used it as an NLP, um, it's called an NLP presupposition, which I think is really useful in situations like this. I, I said, we all do the best we can at the time, otherwise we'd have done something different. And it's very easy in retrospect to look back and say, oh, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. But at the time, we did the best we could. And I could see that just saying that lifted a whole weight off her and she smiled and we moved on <laughs> you know that's a that's a good thing for all of us to, to remember that it, yes. we blame ourselves and we feel guilty and we should have done this in the past but can you just say that again at the time we did the best we could at the time we do the best we can yeah otherwise we would have done something different no matter how bizarre that might seem mm -hmm. that it's easy in retrospect when you gain knowledge and the experience to look back and think, how did I do that? Or I shouldn't have done that. But at the time, given every taking everything into consideration is the best we did the best we could. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> so do you want me to continue? I do. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just think that was such a a gem of advice for all of us right now who might have something that we're not letting go of or we feel guilty of so back to your story yes. <laughs> thank um, you so you said that to your mom yes I said that to her and I noticed there was a progression then I because I'm also a healer which I I quite often would just allow energy to flow towards her healing energy to flow towards her and she always noticed it, which I thought was really amazing. Because you can do that to lots of people and they wouldn't have a clue what was going on. But she noticed it. And then she said, when you see little bits flying around, you'll know it's me. And I thought, she's talking about her energy. She's tuned in to the fact that I'm, you know, sending her energy. And, and I think she might be imagining herself in a non-physical state. And as I was thinking that, she said, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and then shortly after that, she said, 
I really felt that there was trust building between us, you know, through, the, through these conversations. Then she said, it's difficult living between two worlds. And I thought, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, a medical doctor would have dismissed that instantly as uh, delusional right. or, you know, hallucination. But with my background in, you know, the study of consciousness and seeker of consciousness, um, I was really interested in this and wanted to find out more. And that was an absolutely pivotal point in the story. Because if I had dismissed that, there would have been no story. But actually, that was the beginning of our story. And um, I started, just for the benefit of um, your listeners, because she was saying these interesting things, I started to write them down. And this is a discipline that's familiar to me because as a psychotherapist, I write uh, down notes when I've been with clients. So I did the same as soon as I, you know, I would write notes when I was with her, with her permission, and then um, have a look at them independently, you know, when I was on my own. And as this went on, I, th I thought um, she was going to die quite soon because sure. she's... She told me, she said, um, relatives vi visit me, they help me. Now, it, it's, it's recorded, you know, people who've studied this say that when people start having deceased relatives visit them, they're often close to the end of their lives. Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, the most a week or two, uh, but it's often just, you know, a few hours. So I was quite distressed thinking, and she was saying, is it all right if I go? And I was saying, well, yes, but I don't really want you to go. And anyway, um, I started writing down what she was saying. And little did I know that we would continue having conversations for three and a half years. Wow. And I think if I'd known at the time, it would have been a task too daunting to, to embark on. But right. I just got more and more fascinated deeper and deeper into the journey with her and this is something that i think is quite useful for people to think about you know pe when when people have alzheimer's they often it's hard to understand what they're saying because they can't and the reason is they can't remember the words they want to use so they use other words as substitute words and you have to it's a bit like it's a bit like um translating a foreign language the, to get the meaning of what they're communicating, you have to dig around a little bit. And so I was doing that and able to keep up with, you know, what she was, was telling me. Much of it was in metaphorical language. But I also, um, it's important to join them on their journey rather and, and to join them on their map of the world okay. rather than telling them that they're wrong or dismissing what they're saying. I was, after hearing it's difficult working in between two worlds, I thought, I want to know about this. Yes, and yes. my mother knew that. She became more and more intuitive. And the more that I validated her, what she was saying, the more she told me. And so I just, I went with her when it, when she was telling me things and she I could, I don't know at which point to, to say this, but there were lots of things that she told me from the other world. Um, and I just preface this by saying that at this stage in Alzheimer's, people have given up the fight. You know, I'm talking about the stage when 
um, they're no longer struggling to maintain control. Okay. They've okay. sort of surrendered. They've lost their sense of self. Um, they've often lost their sense of linear time. And they're just there. And in that's when they, can, they slip in. They have altered states of consciousness. And they, they just slip into another world. And this other world is a world that was absolutely fascinating to me and one that I really wanted to know about. As do we. So tell us what she said. I'm, I'm like a little kid at Christmas. Like I just want to unwrap. Yes, right. She said, um, television, it's amazing. I can, I can go there and ask all my questions. Now, her television... Um, I think was her it was her portal to the other world, and I think it was her third eye, because speaking to psychics, they describe, you know, the information they're getting as if it's coming through a television. I've had conversations with psychics, so she was naturally and quite unselfconsciously accessing the other world through her in quotes television. Okay. Um, and I'll just tell you some of the things that she said, because uh, I want to quote her uh, her story. Sure, I'm just sure. the messenger. Yeah, um, yeah. Something she said about thought, I think, is interesting. She said, the thought process, it's amazing. Um, on another occasion, she said, um, I, don't, I don't have any brain cells left, uh, but I still think, or I'm still thinking. Um, and I thought that was interesting, because that's, very much what we are, we are told um, about the other world that thought continues. Right. Um, in in this world, she had life reviews. She said, "I'm remembering all my life, all the people." And I I, I thought that sounds to me like a life review. So let's go there. Sure. And, sure. Um, I what I I suppose I was holding a safe space for her to um, to venture into these areas that were coming up. Um, she also had what I would imagine was psychic surgery. She said, it's difficult. I've had a big operation. They've taken things out. And when I asked her where, she said, my mind, they're very skillful. Hmm. And I thought, this sounds, this is energetic. <laughs> Nobody had been around, you know, performing physical operations on her. And she had quite a few um, operations. She described quite a few operations and said, I'm getting better. And at the non-physical level, I can confirm that. She got better and better. And I, I think that um, energies, um, non-physical energies were working on her because she was so open to this happening and, and safe. She said, I have like a first aid box. I can go there I can go to it at any time and get what I need. And when I asked her, you know, how, how do you do that? She said, I ask them. <laughs> and I thought, well, hmm. ask them, it shall be given. So if I think if we are really, really open and really clear, you know, we can ask. And it, it's, it's there. She also had um, what I imagine was an out-of-body experience. She said, um, what did she say? My, head, my head's not attached to my body. Well, I've had an out-of-body experience, and I wouldn't have described it quite like that. It was a spontaneous out-of-body experience, and it wasn't a near-death experience. It was very pleasant. <laughs> um, but 
my head is not attached to my body, so it's like extreme you know, disassociation. Right. But she wasn't disassociated in other ways. So I, um, she also had out-of-body travel. And um, I used to have little chats with her about things that I thought were happening. And one of them, when she described, she said, uh, what to say, I love to float over the oceans. And I thought, this sounds like astral travel to me. Sure, so sure. then I talked to her a little about astral, astral travel, and she was always very eager to listen to me. And uh, after the following day, she said, my brother asked me to visit him, and I did. Now, her brother had already passed on. And it seemed to me that by um, talking to her about astral travel, it gave her permission to do that, but she also said, "I don't do. I don't want to do too much." And I said, "Wise woman," <laughs> because she was still needed to be grounded here. She was still here. Um, other things. She became very psychic, and there were lots of examples of extrasensory perception. I could give you a few of them. Sure. Um, on one occasion, I had sent her. A Mother's Day card that I'd made for her and it had 12 red roses on it because I couldn't be with her on Mother's Day and when I went when I went up to visit her about a week later I was looking for this card in her room and it wasn't there I, I didn't see anything I was, and then she said to me the lost roses and I thought oh you know the physical card may have been lost but she knew about it. Right. And not only did she pick up on the image that I was holding in my mind, she picked up on the fact that it was lost. But to me, that showed me that nothing was lost. Wow. You know? <laughs> there were other occasions when, um, on one occasion, I, was, I had a meeting with our family's lawyer to discuss, you know, by this time I was managing all the, the family you know, arrangements. And this was a, a very difficult meeting. I was going to have to make decisions. And I was feeling very uncomfortable about it. Sure, and sure. I hadn't discussed it. I certainly had not discussed it with her or anybody else. And I walked in, having just come off the train from London. And she said, um, Margaret, she called me Margaret. Margaret is dealing with funds and finance. Margaret is a little confused. <laughs> Wow, and you were. Oh, oh, I can't hide anything. What else have I done? <laughs> because it might be easy to think that, you know, if there was something I wanted her to know about, that somehow I was communicating that. But in this case, I did not want her to know about this. But I, um, but she never, nevertheless did. And there were at least eight occasions when she told me information about things that were happening to me that were true and that she had no other way of knowing. And that, uh, that to me was the strongest evidence that if that information was accurate, then why should I question the other information she was giving me right. about the other world? Mm -hmm. So uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was interesting. I think I probably needed that evidence and she gave it to me. That is so fascinating, Maggie. Just because I know, and one of the one of the hopes that I have is when our body dies, that that 
little voice inside of our head, the negative one disappears. (laughs) And I just have this feeling that your mom was losing that connection with that voice and yet um, tapping into her consciousness, I guess, and just being aware of everything. And and somehow I I have friends who have uh, dealt with parents with Alzheimer's and had some really, really tough times. And um, maybe you can speak a little bit more because I know the title of your book is The Gift of Alzheimer's. And um, and it's hard sometimes to see the gift and things like that. So any advice you could share with maybe somebody that's um, got a parent or a loved one suffering? I want to share my hypothesis about yes let's hear it because i i think uh there's something happening in late stage alzheimer's that has not until now been recognized and that is when somebody reaches this stage of surrender and their sense they've kind of lost their sense of self and they're forgetful um their ego has gone out of the window past and future all rolled into one in the present. If somebody is in the present, in the now, without an ego, they're in a transcendental state. This is the message of Edgar Tolle. It's what he, um, you know, his message in his book, The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think when people reach this late stage of Alzheimer's, they, well, I know they, I don't think they have intermittent altered states of consciousness. My question is what is happening in these altered states? And I, I really believe that if they are held with kind of a trusted companion, someone they feel safe, someone who they know understands or has an awareness of what's happening to them, they can safely, you know, if you like, leave their physical body or partly leave their physical body and enter this other world. And fortunately, my mother retained her faculty of speech right to the end, although it became very limited towards the end, but she was able to tell me these things. And I think that's a possibility for lots of people. And the more it's, I I wrote a blog post about coming out about Alzheimer's, because until I wrote my book, nobody had talked about this. But the more I speak to people, the more they say, oh, yes, something like that was happening with my mom. Interesting. So I, I think there is there is a there is a possibility. So that's one of the gifts. And it's not just a, a gift for the person with Alzheimer's. It's a gift for the, you know, family and friends who are who are with them. It's a wonderful gift. There's and, the oh, sorry. sorry to interrupt. No, I'm just thinking I I had just taken a seminar and and one of the things one of the classes that I took was on improv comedy and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because you have to be so present and so paying attention to the other person no matter what they say that you can't be contemplating what you're going to say next because you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth and I think although I haven't dealt with a person with Alzheimer's but if what you're saying 
um, and this is in my words, that if we can just be with the person and love them who they are and be in that present moment and and listen and trust and so that they have trust that um, they can say anything and it's like maybe being with a, a new person every time and trying not to let our ego or our little voice take over and oh they should be this way or they should be that way and I'm sure our systems are going to be pulling for sadness and this isn't mom or this isn't dad but if we can train ourselves and practice to just be 100% with who they they are today uh, maybe that'll allow for some of these stories to come out or they're them feeling safe enough to share and it could be a um, maybe a different kind of adventure to the end um, absolutely. what you said is absolutely true love is the gateway to the other world Aww. and I I think without love, this would be difficult. But when love is in place, miracles can happen. And being present in the moment is really love and being present in the moment is all that people need to do. The rest will unfold. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you know, it's love that comes straight from the heart. People who have Alzheimer's don't, it's not calculated. Everything's direct. The filters that that not that we have that sort of keep everything tightly and comfortably in place, they've gone. So when love is there, it just flows out. And this means it's an opportunity to heal relationships. And it's never too late to heal the past. In fact, it's a wonderful it's probably the easiest time to heal the past. Say more about that. Well, as I said earlier about my mother and, and me, that we'd, we'd had a challenging relationship. But uh, I felt love towards her. And I'll, I'll just dip into a little neuroscience here, okay. which okay. I discovered afterwards about this, which I thought was really interesting. Um, people, um, researchers at the University of California, San Francisco Memory and Aging Center studied people with Alzheimer's. And they found that as cognition decreases, empathy increases. And this continues. So as brain cells die off, empathy gets greater. And that means that people with Alzheimer's become exceptionally sensitive to our nuances of expression and voice tone and mood. And not only that, they then start to mimic us and give that information back to us. This is called in the language, uh, in the jargon, emotional contagion. So if we're feeling love and compassion towards them, they will pay, and they're feeling it too, they will feed that back to us. I mean, we can get into a beautiful symbiotic relationship in which it just becomes more and more loving. That is so cool. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. And also I'm thinking we don't have to wait until somebody has Alzheimer's to practice this. No, because actually it's true. It's true in life generally. Sure. But in Alzheimer's, we have a huge responsibility um, to be in a good state when we're with people with Alzheimer's because they are very vulnerable to whatever state we're in. Wow. Maggie, I'm looking at my clock, and I know we only have about five minutes left. But I, 
what is there in your heart that maybe could make a difference in someone's life right now or if you have any closing thoughts you're just a gem and oh, I'm excited to read both of your books actually because I'm really intrigued with kinesiology for the little bit that I've played with it it's incredible um, but what, what else do would you like to share well I, I, I Alzheimer's is a protracted end-of-life experience it, you know, sometimes people have illnesses and they, they die quite quickly or they don't know when they're going to die. But with Alzheimer's, there's a long stretch of time. That means we have time to engage in the process of conscious dying. And we have time to, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to engage in conscious dying. And I, it was, there's not enough time here to go into why I think Alzheimer's, my mother's Alzheimer's was an intelligent process of dying. There's absolutely no doubt about that. She knew what she was doing every step of the way. And she talked about programs. She had, um, she had programs for learning. She had supervision. She had tests. And she had quite a few series of them. Her journey towards the transition to the other world was a highly intelligent one. And I, I would like, I suggest that people look out for this. It's maybe there, kind of hidden in the midst of confusion. And um, people, when they go into these altered states, they have access to the other world. They have access to the Akashic field or the universal information field. And they have no fear of death. Because in that other world, um, there isn't fear. And my mother said, I have, I have no fear. I have no, death is nothing to be afraid of. We're learning we're immortal. I have no pain. Oh, that's, great. that's great. I had a friend of mine, Maggie, whose father was, had Alzheimer's. In the last two years of his life, he couldn't speak. Very rarely something would come out of his mouth. And uh, he was in the fetal position and, and all that. And, you know, my, my instinct now is that dad was still there that he was just maybe in this higher state of consciousness and um, high level of of empathy and I know the family gave him lots of love and and things like that but even in one of those situations I think that um, it's all about who we're being you know like we really can still send the love and then when it's well we need to be present in ourselves first and, and it's from that place of stillness and presence that we can really give in a way that the energy that they can receive, I think. Uh, my mother and I spent a long time in silent eye contact, which I found quite difficult, but it was actually, it brought me to being present. And... As she progressed, I'll just give you a couple more things that she said. Sure, sure. She said, I love everyone. She became in this universal, she was in a universal world of love. I love everyone and love never dies. So she taught me about love. She taught me about unconditional love. That's and it's changed my life. 
you mentioned, I'll just say this quickly, uh, having the eye contact. Uh, one of the courses I, I took, I had to sit face to face with another individual with no words and just look into their eyes. And I can't remember if it was five minutes or 10 minutes, but it was really hard to do at the beginning. And then what happened after we got through with all the giggles and, and all that is all that was there was just love, just being with another being. Yes. whether they're man woman old young it didn't matter and and love showed up so um, maybe i'll challenge our listeners if you want to play with this a little is just find someone you love or care for or maybe a new friend and just and just do that look into their eyes and just see if you can quiet the mind and just be present and just have love when you're looking into their eyes so maggie our time has come to an end and and i'm sorry about that but we can always continue another time but um, it was really a pleasure to have you here today well thank you so much sandra i really enjoyed talking with you yeah me too and and we'll we'll chat more and for our listener today thank you for being here um i want to remind you that you can listen to maggie's episode and the other episodes on we don't die radio.com i have a lovely picture of the beautiful maggie and a link to her books and her website and her blog and all of those great things and i do have a favor to ask if this show has made a difference for you or any of the past shows if you could either leave a rating on iTunes or even on your Facebook page or LinkedIn or Twitter, whatever you use, maybe share this episode. You just never know who in their life is suffering right now, who they don't, many of us don't suffer in public, so you, you never know, but just seeing a link on one of your social media pages might be just the thing that they needed to hear today. And so our guest today was Maggie LaTorelle, and her new book is The gift of alzheimer's you can get that at the gift of and read more about it my name is sandra champlain i've been your host on we don't die radio i do believe with all of my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important so thank you for listening and we'll see you soon mm-hmm.